Tracy Darla, appreciate that very much. Take your Bibles, please, if you will. Go with me tonight to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Jump right in where we left off this morning. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The main point of the message this morning was that really being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about growing in the Lord. It's about spiritual maturity. And uh, I didn't even bring it with me tonight to read it, but I left off a quote that I wanted to give this morning. It was just a short paragraph. It was, again, from the Bible doctrines that we had when we were at Bob Jones. It was Linzel, I believe, and uh, Charles Woodbridge, Handbook for Christian Truth. And in that section on the Holy Spirit, they mentioned the same thing, basically, that Dr. Ryrie said, but in different words. That really, when you think about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you need to focus on the word character. Not just the character of God. We're not talking about that, although that is true, too. But it's the idea that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is all about Christian experience. It's all about Christian character. It's all about, really goes along with our messages on, on walking, uh, the, in, in walking that we just finished last week, I believe, okay? It's, it's basically our Christian walk. It's our manner of life. It's our lifestyle. And that's what the fullness of the Holy Spirit is all about. And so as we think of the scriptures that would tell us how to be a growing Christian instead of a backsliding Christian, they would be the same scriptures really that we would look to to know from the Bible how to be filled with the Spirit. And we said this morning, the last part of the message, that at the moment of salvation, every person is filled with the Spirit. To think that we were born sinners, we live a life of sin, we don't have God's Spirit within, we're not in the family of God, we don't have eternal life, all of our sins are still on our own account, and we are deserving of and going to face the wrath, the judgment of God, and we're going to go to hell and then somebody shares with us the plan of salvation. That God, Son, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came to die. Came to die upon a cross. He paid in full our sin debt. He was buried and rose again the third day. And by simply trusting him, not by church membership, not by baptism, not by any kind of a work or any merit of our own, we can simply put our faith in Jesus Christ and, return, and turning from our sins, receiving Christ, we are born again by God's Spirit. And the moment God's Spirit comes to live within, at that moment, we are Spirit-filled. And that's the way God wants it to be until the day we enter heaven. But we all know, sad to say, it doesn't turn out that way. And so God has to say to us, in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine or in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So what, what happened? After we were saved and we were filled with the Spirit, that day we were born again, how long did the Spirit fullness last? How long was He in control of our life? How long was He dominating us? How long? Well, until something happened that stopped that, that stopped that relationship. And I said this morning, it really is either a matter of Grieving God's spirit, quenching God's spirit, or lying to God's spirit or tempting God's spirit. And so tonight we want to look at one of those three, or actually four. And I want us tonight to look at the subject of grieving God's spirit. I think it's the, I think it's the easiest one to understand. I think perhaps it's the one that we can relate to the easiest. Ephesians chapter 4, please, would you notice verse 30. And by the way, this is also a command. It's not a request, it's not a suggestion, it's a clear command. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, 
whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Would you read or quote that with me, please, together? Here we go. And grieve not the spirit of... Let me start over, please. I led you straight, and I, and, and I left out the key word, holy. That's terrible. Here we go, together. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. The word grieve is a word that means sadness or heaviness or sorrow. It's not difficult to know the meaning here. Do not make the Holy Spirit who indwells us, do not make him sorrowful. Do not make him sad. Do not make him heavy, so to speak, in his heart. And by the way, the idea here of sadness, heaviness, and sorrow is the fact that this is such sadness, this is such sorrow, that it actually causes pain. And by the way, this is a proof text, good proof text, that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an influence. He's a person and not a thing. He's a person and not a force. You don't make an influence sad. You don't make a, a force sad. You don't make a thing sad. You make a person sad. You grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I think it helps us understand what it means to make the Holy Spirit sad if sometimes we think about some experience that we had in our life, perhaps, or some experience that we know somebody else had that made them very sad. It made them sorrowful. It grieved them. It, it caused them to be distressed. And it helps us understand how God must feel when we grieve him. I just jotted down a couple of quick ones that came to mind. I'll mention some more later and some illustrations. Because sometimes these experiences are, are too painful to even share. You don't even like to talk about them, number one. How about when a child turns away from the Lord? And in turning away from the Lord, he turns away from his parents who have taught him, brought him up in the things of Christ, tried to, with a combination of, of sincere, godly love and firm, loving discipline, they've tried to lead the child in the right way, the way that he should go. And then one day they feel like they must have miserably failed because they looked at their son or they look at their daughter and they say, whatever happened, we, we loved her so much. We loved him so much. We tried to teach him the scriptures. We tried to give the right counsel, the right direction. We tried to give discipline and love when it was needed. And we had such, such strong spiritual desires for that little girl or that young man. And now it's like, now listen, a parent, somebody here tonight I'm sure can understand that. You can relate to that. How much that hurts. How painful that is. It really is painful. Number two, how about when a spouse learns that their mate is showing an interest in somebody else? They find out that their spouse has had or is having in what the world calls an affair or cheating on their spouse. You don't think, I'm so glad I've never had experienced this. Thank you very much. Closest thing I've come to is dreaming about it. I mean, I woke up one morning, I was more sad than I have ever been in my life. 
because I walked in a department store and I couldn't find my wife and pretty soon I saw her by a countertop or by some counter someplace and she was looking at the salesman and I didn't like the look in her eye. I thought, you haven't looked at me like that in a long time. <laughs> now, this is my dream. This is my dream. Okay, are you awake? No, you're not dreaming, are you? This is my dream. I'm thinking, when's the last time you looked at me like that? I thought, I don't know who this guy is, but now I'll tell you, man. I woke up. I wasn't crying. I wasn't like wetting my pillow with tears, okay, but I could have because I have never had a thought like that. That is the first time any thought like that ever entered my mind. I'll tell you one thing. When I woke up, it was a dream. It was the happiest day of my life. Hey, listen. There's a lot of people, that's, that's, that's a reality. I mean, there may be people, there may be women or men, husbands or wives, in this room tonight, you may be saying, I remember that very, very well. I don't know how you ever get over that. That's sad, that's painful. Does that help us relate a little bit to this fact that God says, and grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. And I'll tell you what, the seal of God with the Holy Spirit in our heart, in being saved, and being partakers of the divine nature. Hey, listen, that's a closer relationship than a parent-child relationship. That's a closer relationship than a husband and wife relationship. How do you think God must feel when we're unfaithful to him? When we live in disobedience to him, we'll talk about, we'll develop that more in just a little bit. We should be thankful, by the way, should we not, that when we do grieve God's spirit, that we don't lose our salvation. I, 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 feel, I feel so badly for people in some denominations that do not believe in the doctrine of eternal security. I, I don't know how it would be to live as a Christian one day and wonder if you were one the next day. And then you don't know, are you supposed to get resaved? And how do you get resaved? You got saved the first time, and I was supposed to do something different. Did that not work? Did that not take? Whatever happened here? And then and you live in this world of uncertainty. How could you stand to live like that? Because the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I mean, we don't know when we're going to take our last breath. We don't know. How'd you like to live wondering, okay, if I die in the next five minutes, am I going to go to heaven or hell? I was sure of this yesterday, but I'm not sure anymore. I was sure of this a couple months ago, and then I got unsure again. Then I got saved again, and then I, whatever again. It's like, I, I couldn't stand to live like that. Aren't you glad for 1 John 5, 13? These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Could I ask you, please, what does eternal mean, pray tell? It means forever, never ending. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If I start giving eternal security verses now, I'll never finish this message. So enough. Do you know some? If any of you have trouble doubting your salvation, or if any of you have trouble, especially in this area of, well, I don't, I don't know if I really believe in eternal security. Now, I mean, what does the Bible really say about that? Come and ask me. I'll give you more verses than you could ever imagine. And any one of them is all you need fact that we are saved and here's a good one grieve not the holy spirit of god whereby you are sealed not until you sin how many sins do you have to commit pray tell before you cross the magic line or which sin puts you over the line well some are not so bad some are terrible but if you if you commit this sin you're lost or you you know you've come you know sin now like 14 times but if you hit the magic number 15 you're out of the family of god no it doesn't go like that do not make God's Holy Spirit who lives sad because you have been sealed by him until the day of final redemption, praise the Lord. So how do we grieve him? 
How do we make God's spirit sad? For whatever time we have left tonight until the end of the message, I want to give you some ways, I believe, some typical ways that we can easily grieve God's spirit. Number one, every attitude, and this is a good summary. That's why I start here. Every attitude, word, or action in our life that is disobedience to the word of God, and therefore it is contrary to God's holiness, causes the Holy Spirit great sadness. Did you notice this verse doesn't say, grieve not the spirit? It could say that. When I, when I led in you quoting it and I left off the word holy, man, I said, that's a terrible thing to do. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. That word holy is important. God's Holy Spirit lives within and therefore, any unholiness in our part and, and any disobedience to God's word is unholiness. It's a lack of holiness. Any unholiness, any disobedience, whatever it is in my life, any failure to measure up to the standards of God's word, it has to grieve the indwelling Holy Spirit. I like what Dr. Lehman Strauss said in his commentary on Ephesians about this verse. Listen to what he said. The initial work of the Spirit after having wrought conviction to the heart, is to create a new nature within. His full title is the Holy Spirit. And his divine nature grieves when any wrong thought, word, or deed <coughs> occupies the mind or the body of the believer. Sin wounds and pains the Holy Spirit. Listen to his last phrase. Grieving the Holy Spirit is synonymous with, would you like to guess the last word? Grieving the Holy Spirit is synonymous with, starts with a B, backsliding. Christians would never like to admit when they're backsliding. They, they think you've got to really do something bad or some terrible things for a long period of time, you know, to finally get backslidden. No, I agree with Dr. Strauss here. Any grievance of God's spirit is sliding back. As we said this morning, it stops our spiritual growth. Dr. John MacArthur says, all sin is painful to God. But sin, in, all sin, he's saying sin in unbelievers, sin by anybody out there, all sin is painful to God. But sin in his children breaks his heart. When his children refuse to change the ways of the old life for the ways of the new, God grieves. Whatever violates the will of God and the holiness of the heart will grieve the third person of the Trinity. Can you relate to that? Have you ever felt badly when you saw somebody else's child disobey their parents? It kind of, like, you know, it hurts. But that's just somebody else's child. I mean, I've mentioned this to you before. I mean, I... I walk out here after school sometime or, and I see how some of these children and young people in our school, how they treat their parents. And I mean, it hurts. And I'm thinking, well, I'll tell you one thing. If you're my child, I wouldn't put up with that look. No, you wouldn't look at me like that. You would not say to me what you just said to your dad. And it hurts me just to hear it. But I'll tell you one thing. They're not, they're not, they're not my son. They're not my daughter. When it's your own son, when it's your own daughter, that hurts. And Dr. MacArthur is saying, listen, God is grieved when anybody in the world sins because he hates sin. Sin put his son on the cross. 
but how must he feel when one of his own very children is disobedient? That's a different story. So any attitude, any word, any action that is in disobedience to God's word, surely it is grieving God's spirit. And I think that that's, again, without even, without even explaining any of them, we're in, we're in Ephesians 4. Look at the context of Ephesians 4.30. Why don't you start in verse, uh, let's go 24. 24. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see that? There's the opening statement. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. He's not finished. See, so he continues this list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's a pretty long list of a whole variety of sins. Would you agree to that? And any one of those grieves God's spirit. Number two, how do we grieve the spirit of God? I believe we grieve the spirit of God when we have misplaced priorities in our life. Misplaced priorities. Colossians 3, verses 1, 2, 3, the word of God. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Exodus 20 verse 3. What does God say? Thou shalt have. What? No other gods before me. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. With how much? With all thy heart. With all thy soul. With all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. 1 John 5 21. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't let anybody or anything else take over the place of Christ in your heart. Become an idol to you, a God to you. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, there are, these are just a few. There are so many verses in the Bible that have to do with the subject of priorities. How in the world must God feel when he's not first? You ever thought about that? When we have time for anyone and everyone and anything and everything else. But we have no time for him. I think about it this way. How does a wife feel when her husband has time for golf? Maybe I should say something besides golf, okay? Leave this part out, okay? How does a wife, by the way, I only play once a week. I have some friends who play every day. I play once a week. My wife can go shopping once a week. I can play golf, week, uh, golf once a week. Amen? All God's people said... Fair play, okay. How does a wife feel when her husband has time for golf, for fishing, forget that, for softball, for bowling, for working on his car, for watching an, another sporting event on cable TV, or for checking out something else that's really fascinating on the internet? But he has no time for, finish it, her. How hard is this? Pretty simple message. He has no time for her. 
He's got time for everything else. But he never has time for her. You don't think she might be grieved about that? What's that called? I'd call that misplaced priorities. Oh, let's turn it around. How does a husband feel? When his wife has time for shopping, see, I get the golfing, we've got to get the shopping in, okay? How does a husband feel when his wife has time for shopping, chatting or texting with family or friends on the phone, Facebooking, watching another TV program like Hallmark? No, okay, just having fun. I don't mind at all when you watch your Hallmark movies. That's just fine, okay? But you watch another movie. Uh, oh, even doing things with the children, but no time for the husband. There's a lot of husbands that are sad about that. I mean, she has time for everything else, but she doesn't have time for him. And he has time for everything else, but he has no time for her. You say, what do you mean no time? Okay, little time. But it's like, okay, who is really most important? How do you think God feels when a believer has, doesn't even have time for personal devotions? Doesn't have time for witnessing? Doesn't have time to go to church. Doesn't have time to, to sing in a trio in church. Doesn't have time to, you can make the list however long you want to make it, but they have time for everything. Listen, I put it this way, and especially when I was a youth pastor, I tried to drill this into teenagers. We have time to do whatever we want to do, period. Whatever is most important to us, we will get it done. And that's the way it is in our lives with people, and that's the way it is with the Lord. God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit within, must be grieved when He knows He's not first place in our life. We love Him, but He's kind of down there someplace. Another one, please. How about ingratitude? Number three tonight, ingratitude. Ingratitude on our part must grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, think of how you feel when you do something really special for someone, or you give, you give them something, and it's a, it's a big deal to you, you're not asking for personal recognition. You're not asking for any kind of a thank you. You're not asking for a gift in return. You just truly love that person, and because love always wants to give, so you give something, and they don't say a word. They never acknowledge it. How do you feel about that? Kind of takes the excitement out. Hey, yesterday, is it Friday? Who cares, Friday or Saturday? Yesterday, I believe. I grabbed my phone. I put that thing on message. I put a name in there, and I said something like this. We have the, I have the thank you note that you wrote me with the book and the $20 bill that was enclosed in it. The thank you note that you gave me with a picture of your family, I have that sitting on the counter in our on a countertop in our kitchen. But it just dawned on me, I never said thank you. Let me tell you how much I appreciate your thoughtfulness. My lack of response, I waited a whole week to say thank you, and I'm very sorry I'm embarrassed about that. I hope my ingratitude, or I hope that my, my delay in thanking you does not make you think I'm not grateful because I really am grateful, and I really appreciate it. 
Now, I, I think I know this person up to know this family. They didn't give me something, so I would just grab my phone and say thank you and just drool all over. I don't think it's like that. But I know one thing. You and I both know there's, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you do give because you really love someone, it really is nice when they at least say thank you. How do you think God feels? He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And to think that people have received him, people have come to trust him, people have believed upon him. I love John 1, 11 and 12, speaking of Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I thought sometime this morning as I was having breakfast, I thought of John 6, 37, where Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will. Can you finish it? I will in no wise cast out. I will never, ever cast out the person who comes in faith to me. And I bowed my head and I said, Heavenly Father, thank you. You will never cast me out. That's a fact. And I'm grateful for that. But how do you think God feels when there comes some time in my life where, listen now, my lifestyle doesn't show forth my gratitude? I might tell him I'm thankful. I might express it verbally or I might not even do that for a few days. I don't know. I, I do it every morning, by the way. Every morning. I told you this. Since my heart attack, every morning. I thank God for two things. Number one, for saving my eternal soul. And I quote a verse of scripture, whatever comes to my mind. And number two, I thank God for preserving my life when I had a heart attack and giving me another day to serve him. Every day. It's a wonderful thing to do. But I can't stand up here and say that every moment of every day always shows forth the gratitude that I really have in my heart. You think that might grieve God's spirit? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. And I believe we make the heart of God sad when he has saved us from sin and death and judgment and hell and then we don't ever thank him, either verbally or by our lifestyle. Showing no desire to communicate with God must grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Showing no desire to communicate with God must grieve the Holy Spirit. His word. We don't read God's word. I, I, can't, I can't preach it too often. This is the only written revelation from God to man. The only way that God communicates with me personally is through the word of God. I sense him in my conscience. I see him, so to speak, in creation. But I see him in the scriptures. This is his message to me. It's his message to you. And how do you think he feels when we don't have time to read it? I mean, I, I beg you, if you don't get something else done every day, don't leave this out. Tell God that you really appreciate him speaking to you, that, you gave, that he gave you his eternal word and show an interest in what he has to say. I mean, how would you feel if somebody gave you a note, handed you an envelope with a note in it, 
and you took it home and you put it on a dresser. And oh, yeah, two weeks later you remembered you never read it. That doesn't show that you really have much of a relationship with the person that gave you the note. You don't care what they tell you. I don't know if this is true in our church or not. I have no way of knowing. But in every place I've been, whether it's been a youth pastor or a pastor, there have been different times when I've taken like a survey or just asked people sometimes, you know, bow your head, close your eyes. Be honest. From last Sunday to this Sunday, seven days, how many days did you read the word of God? And I'm not talking about studying for a Bible class at school. You absolutely on your own. And I'll talk about sitting in church. Sitting in a Sunday school class. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm, no, Bob, no. I'm talking about when you on your own took the word of God and you had daily devotions or God night time or quiet time. How many times in the last seven days did you do that? It has always been really, really discouraging the results of who raised his hands. It's like, I thought everybody's having the devotions. I didn't know just a few were. You think God might be grieved about that? I told you about a lady who visited our church a long time ago. I don't remember her name. I just, I remember where she lived because my wife and I went to visit her. Lived down there in Bethany, somewhere off 23rd Street. I don't know if I've ever met a lady who is more sad than that lady. She had a son that was like 34 or 36 years old. Lives right here in town. And she said, he hasn't talked to me for years. But she said, even what hurts me more than that is, he won't let me talk to him. He says, Mom, don't call me. Don't come to me. I didn't have texting back in those days. Might have, not even, might have even not even had email then. I don't know. It's a long time ago. Don't call me. Whatever you do, do not come by my house. I don't want you to ever talk to me. And then as she's crying, she says to me, and I have no idea why. I have no clue why. And I used to try to ask him, well, son, well, what did I say? What did I do? How did I hurt you? How did I offend you? Whatever happened to cause this? It's like, don't want to talk about it. She says, I have no clue. I haven't seen him for years. Doesn't call me. Doesn't come over. And has told me, don't ever talk to me again. Think that might be a little sad? I know one year I got home from Bob Jones University, my pastor took me aside. He said, Larry, I, I need to tell you something. You're making your mom really sad. I'm thinking, I'm making my mom sad? How am I making my mom sad? I'm down here in Greenville. She's up here in Greenville. How am I making her sad? He said, your mom... Has told me many times that uh, my name was Butch, nickname was Butch. Butch doesn't write me. Now, I was, too, I was too poor to make phone calls back then, okay? And there's too many guys lined up to use the pay phone. You got the idea? But I could have written her a letter. I had time to write all kinds of letters to everybody. I, I had, sorry about that. I had time to write letters to girls at school, <laughs> okay? A letter every night to somebody. Just part of school, you know, write a, write a love letter to somebody. I got real serious and wrote her some real letters, okay? But anyway, I mean, it's just like, I had time for dates. I had time to do everything. I had, I had time for sports. I had time for, for activities. I had time for leadership things. I had time for work. I had time for school. I had time for everything. 
but now, did I love my mom? Yeah, I, I thought I did. I really think I did. But I never hardly ever wrote her. Never hardly ever wrote her. And it took a passion to say, you are, you are break, in spite of everything else you've got going on there at Bob Jones University, he said, and I know you love it, and I know you're doing really, really well, but you're making a sad mom. Because every day she goes out to the mailbox looking for a letter from Butch. And it ain't there. And by the way, when my mom passed away, what do you think I found in the house? Every letter I ever wrote her. And there weren't a whole lot until the day that a pastor told me you could make your mom really happy if you just write her a letter. Listen, no time. We must move on. Don't have much time left. Rejecting his loving, wise counsel and going ahead with our personal, selfish plans. Surely that must grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you listen? Rejecting God's loving, wise counsel and going ahead with our personal, selfish plans. It must really grieve the Holy Spirit. Some of you parents can relate to this. How do you feel when you give loving, wise counsel to your son? And he says, thank you very much, not interested. When you, when you try to encourage your daughter to go down the right road, and you know how happy she would be if she would just do that, and she says, Mom, I don't need you to push me on that. How does a parent feel? How do you think? See, God guides us with his eye. God's indwelling Holy Spirit, he's our teacher, he's our leader, he's our counselor, he's our advisor. And, he, and, he's, and listen, he always directs us in the right direction. He leads us in the right direction. He knows what's really, really best for us. And I'll tell you one thing, he knows what his will is for us. Amen? How do you think he feels when God gives us counsel, advice, that is really good and really right. And we reject it. We don't want to hear it. We got a better plan. We got a better idea. That must, that must grieve the heart of God. And it happens regularly. And then one more. Refusing to use for God's glory the talents and the spiritual gifts that he has given to us. And not taking advantage of the opportunities to serve the Lord, that must grieve the Holy Ghost. Because in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told very clearly that it's the Holy Spirit of God who gives individual gifts to every believer. We might want to call them talents, but there's a difference between talents and spiritual gifts. But listen, anything that we're really good at, you know why we're good at that? Because God gave us that ability. God gave us that gift. And we ought not squander those opportunities. I'm thankful that I haven't had to deal with this either. Uh, there was just one little short time. Darla, you still here? Did you go in the nursery? Oh, Darla's back there. I gotta be careful what I say. Last week she was in the nursery. I could just let it out, you know. It was one little short time in our life when Bonnie and I thought that Darla was losing interest in playing the piano. I don't even know if I've ever told you this. And we'd, we'd, we'd pray at night before we go to bed, and we'd cry, saying, Father, 
you have gifted her in music. You have given her the ability to play the piano. But it seems like she's lost interest in that. It was before we got here, by the way, okay? It might have not been before we got here. It was a long time ago anyway. And I thought, you know what? She doesn't want to play the piano. She doesn't want to keep developing that talent, that gift from God. And she could be so good at that, and God could use her for that, in that. And it, it was, it, Bonnie and I struggle with that. I mean, we pray and we cry. And I believe God answered our prayers. She played tonight, amen. Sang tonight, praise the Lord. Now listen, that's just, that's just a parent who loves a child. How do you think God feels? The indwelling Holy Spirit, when he has given us a particular gift, and we don't do anything with it. Whatever the gift might be, and he lists a whole bunch of them in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, but it could be, it could be though there's something else. It's like, that must grieve God. So when your bottom line is, grieve not the spirit of God, whereby we are sealed until the day of redemption, because listen to me now, and we'll end where we started. When God saved us, he filled us with his spirit, and he wants us to remain filled with his spirit until the day we enter heaven. So whenever we're not, something has come in to stop that. Something has put a halt to that. And when it put a halt to that, it also then hindered our spiritual growth. And we quit growing spiritually. And it can be these things, one of these things I mentioned tonight, it can be other things. But it's anything that is not in line with God's will as revealed in God's word. And that's a serious thing. Bow your heads, please, if you would. Are you filled with the Spirit tonight? Is God's Holy Spirit absolutely controlling you? Is he in charge of anything and everything in your life? If not, why not? When did it stop? Because the second you were saved, you were spirit-filled. So, whoa, boy, I tell you, that's scary. I know it's scary. Well, about scary says is really, I mean, it's really sad. That's what we're talking about, making God sad. Making God extremely sorrowful. And I'll say this and I'll pray. I think every true believer who's really honest before God knows exactly what area or what areas he or she is making God sad in. I think we know when it happens. So the question is, what do we do about it? We've heard so much these last couple of weeks about restarting the what? You finish it. Restarting the economy. You ever heard that phrase? We need to restart the economy. I've heard that phrase so many times, and I, I love the phrase myself. Restart the economy. Is it possible that there's believers here tonight that need to restart your Christian walk with the Lord? Not only get saved again, I already talked about that. But you've kind of, you've kind of cooled off, kind of gotten careless, kind of got a little backslidden there. Quit growing, frankly, really grieving God's spirit. Maybe it's time to restart 
your spirit-filled life. Father, we thank you for your word. It's really pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Easy to understand if we want to understand it. I pray that we might tonight know exactly what these verses we've talked about, what they mean. That we might be, we might be grieved in our spirit knowing that we have grieved your spirit. We thank you for your word that says if we confess our sins, that you are faithful, you're just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we experience that tonight if we need that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?